Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom most of my listeners, you are devouring these episodes, fascinated by the women's stories and wondering if you could do this too. Do you wish that you had a step-by-step strategy for how to actually plan and manifest your free birth? Our complete guide to free birth is the number one course for free birth, and we made it for women just like you. It's a self-guided online intensive course that will teach you everything we think you need to know about how to birth freely and in your power. We'll take you all the way from unpacking industrial care to what DIY prenatal care looks like, how to pick and prep your support team, what to expect, look out for, and how to shift when more support could be needed. Yes, we'll cover the what-ifs, how to prevent complications, and how to orient your entire life towards a powerful birth. So head on over to freebirthsocietycourses.com now and take the first step towards the birth of your dreams. Nicole joins me on the show today sharing her three birth stories, ending with the redemptive story of her F-back, a free birth after C-section. After Nicole's midwives sabotaged her home birth and coerced her into a traumatic C-section, Nicole was left heartbroken and feeling entirely inadequate to enter motherhood. For her second birth, she turned to the same midwives— And while she did have her baby at home, she was once again violated by the very women who she hired to support her. Through her own discovery and internal work, she got pregnant for the third time and knew that it would be the time to claim the birth of her dreams without looking to anyone else. Nicole articulates the power of what happens when there is no one there to outsource and you just pick up your baby and become, well, enough. You become whole. You become a truly embodied mother. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Emily. 
So kick us off. Who were you before you became a mother and how does your first pregnancy go? Yeah, I was a completely different person. Um, uh, six and a half, seven years ago. Um, my husband and I got married in 2015 and we were still in our like adventure explore, um, not have kids phase, but that didn't last very long. Um, at that time I wasn't where I am now, as far as like knowing, um, having the wisdom of my cycles and my fertile periods and stuff. Um, so we had a surprise pregnancy about seven months after we got married Oh my gosh! and like having kids wasn't really on my mind. Like I of course knew I wanted them and I was already 29. So I wasn't, you know, a spring chicken, but I still wasn't like ready necessarily to have children. Um, but as soon as I like took a, I put, took a pregnancy test by myself with my, I remember my cat was in the bathroom with me <laughs> and like, I don't, I had never taken a pregnancy test before. So it was like my first one and it was positive. And I just like, I was started screaming. And, um, so when my husband got home from work and I shared the news with him, it was just like, it was like something just immediately clicked. And I was like, Oh, I am ready to be a mom. Like, I am so excited about this. Um, and I, um, yeah, just went into complete like research mode. I'm very like research oriented. I have to find out everything about everything. Um, and I had never known anyone to have a home birth. Um, all my like aunts, my mom, everyone, they had had their births in hospitals, um, unmedicated, but still completely, you know, within, within the hospital. And it was always, you know, oh, birth is just the worst pain in the world. And birth isn't really something to look forward to. You just get through it. Um, and for some reason I decided I wanted to have a home birth. I'm not exactly sure where I got that idea, but, um, I started looking around. I didn't know if there were even, you know, midwives in the area. I assumed I had to have a midwife because, you know, you had to have someone there. Right. <laughs> um, that's what I thought. Um, and, I reached out to the first midwife I found and, you know, I just assumed all midwives were, uh, uh, woo woo and like hippie herbalists and everything. Yeah. And so I was like, great, here's this lady and she's gonna, you know, be with me and serve me. And, um, and she was really nice. Um, I didn't love her right off the bat. She had kind of a gruff personality, but, um, I assumed, you know, I just had to go with her, not had to, but kind of, um, so, so anyways, the pregnancy went well and I loved how they like came to my house and I was just like, this is all so dreamy. And like, you know, I'm just gonna have my baby at home. And I, um, read so many books, all the like, um, natural pregnancy books, you know, and, um, websites and YouTube videos. I watched birth stories. I, um, I planned for postpartum. Like I was at the time, um, I had kind of started a small herbalism and skincare business. So I got really excited about making all the baby products, like the salves. And I made like a natural baby powder and, um, I made, then I made like meals for postpartum. Um, the thing that like, I didn't like was, um, 
that didn't sit right with me was all the testing that they still kind of were pushing on me. Um, and I gained weight really quickly and it seemed like to them that was like, you know, they were concerned about that, even though I was feeling fine and everything. So every time they asked me how much I weighed, I was always like nervous about that part of it because I just felt like I was doing something wrong, even though, you know, I was taking care of myself. I wasn't eating as well as I do now, but, um, anyways, um, weight gain. Oh, I, I have like the white coat syndrome kind of deal. Whenever someone takes your blood pressure, your blood pressure skyrockets. So like that was always kind of an issue too. So they had me take my own blood pressure. Um, but other than that, like I, you know, it was my first pregnancy. So I was doing lots of like, I didn't, I didn't work outside the home. So I had a lot of time at home to like, um, when I wasn't working with my herbal products and stuff, I was taking walks and doing visualizations and praying and listening to music and just all the nice, like dreamy stuff, napping that you get to do your first, you know, pregnancy. Oh man, if only, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, spending time with my husband, swimming, laying out by the pool. I love summer pregnancies because everyone always says they hate them, but I love being in the pool all summer. I like being like naked, not having to put giant jackets on. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was nice. I would just lay out by the pool the last like month. Um, and was just like, so excited. I was doing like prenatal yoga. Um, and I, I was excited for my home birth. Um, so I think that's all I have. Yeah. To say kind of about the pregnancy. So I'll just kind of move into, um, my birthing time, I was getting pretty close to 42 weeks and they were, you know, starting to get worried because I couldn't go past 42 weeks. They said they would have to transfer my care. So, um, they recommended, you know, the, the weird walking and the, the different foods that I could eat. And I was very much like trying to like prepare my body as much as possible for birth, which like, I have a completely different opinion on that. Now I feel like I can just let my body do what it needs to do. But then, you know, I was like, okay, red raspberry leaf tea and dates and, and all this stuff. And... Propaganda. <laughs> Man, I think back and it's just propaganda. like, it adds so much more work. Like it mm-hmm. just adds so much more like stress and work. Um, and eventually I had done, I think I had done like another ultrasound to like, you know, check the blah, blahs, the levels, whatever, and everything was fine. Um, and I had scheduled another one for like my 42 week date, um, another ultrasound to go in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I really didn't want to, you know, have to go in for that one. So So my midwife gave me, um, an herb, like a tincture that was supposed to kind of like prep your body or like maybe get something started if there was already something there. And she, you know, said that I should, however, I should take it and just said, you know, this could help get things going. That way we don't have to, you know, worry about you, worry about doing anything else. Uh, worry about you going over 42 weeks. So I took it and I'm pretty sure the next day is when, um, my, like waters kind of started to release and I had like a bloody show. So 
I'm fairly certain that that's what did it. Um, or maybe it was my body, you know, who knows either way. Like that was the only thing. Let me say something here. Okay. It's not what did it. There's no way. There's no (laughs) way that some tincture made you go into labor. Yeah. Yeah. No way. There's not a salad. There's not a sex position. There's not a tincture. No. You know, I think, I think it was Yolanda said it best a long, long time ago to me. She said, um, whatever is the thing women do before they go into labor, they think is the thing that caused labor. Right. Right. Yeah. But you're just about to go into labor because you're about to birth. You were 42 weeks. Yeah. 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 I think so. So I, of course, got so excited. Um, Me and my husband were, it was in the evening time and we were sitting down reading and watching a show or something. And I got so excited and then I immediately text them and they asked me to send them a picture or something of what it looked like in my underwear um, so they could know. And like, it was already kind of brown. Um, There was a little brown in it. And so they were like, oh, well, there may be some, you know, meconium in there. So since it was my first baby they were very I guess um you know there immediately so they like came over they asked me how I was doing they kind of looked at what I had wiped um we went on a walk and I think this walk was probably the best experience I had with them because it was just like they just walked with me and let me talk and they shared some of their story if I asked them um it was like 9 30 on a summer night so it was like finally had cooled down here usually it's like 105 here all day long um so that was really nice and you know I barely had any surges or contractions it was barely anything but but I knew that you know it was starting so then they left and um, my husband went to bed and I tried to sleep but by the time like 1 a.m rolled around like um they had gotten my, my contractions had gotten a lot stronger and, um, and so I kind of just was up like walking through them, listening to music. I think I had some candles going and eventually I think two or three in the morning, I, they were really getting strong. And so I woke up my husband and so his job is usually he leaves around like four in the morning and then gets home around like 12 or one. So he had to figure out someone to cover for him for, um, he has like a route where he breeds cattle. So he had to get someone to cover for him. So he didn't have to go to work and he was dealing with that. And I was like, you know, at the point where I wanted some, um, support. So I texted my mom and my sister and I had the whole, uh, like, I think you call it like a party birth thing Mm. for my first birth where, Well, I invited my mom and my sister and I had told them I wanted them there. And part of it was like, my sister had asked me to her birth. So I felt like, you know, I should um, honor her by inviting her to mine, you know, and we were at a good place at that point, like in a relationship. So I thought it would be fine. But then my mom decides to bring my father, which was kind 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 of weird. Like I didn't ask him to come. Um, and he had been at my sister's births. Like I am very close to my dad, but I didn't really want him at my birth. Yeah. You know? And I didn't really want like any male presence other than my really? husband. 
Well, so, and also you didn't invite him. I know. Yeah. You would and, have if you had wanted that. Yes. Yeah. And so that, that wasn't really respected. So that kind of threw me off for a little mm-hmm. bit. And he was like, actually in the room, like supporting me, like holding my hands and stuff, which part of me was like, this is really sweet. Thanks dad. And like, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but like, get out of here, you know? So it was just like too much going on. You know, the sun was coming up and I still hadn't made, I still hadn't like gotten in deep into like the toughest part of it. Um, So I think everyone kind of like left and went to another part of the house and my midwives were there and they suggested I do this smile circuit. And that it was, it was like torture almost like I couldn't move, you know, I mean, I could have, but they said like, your baby isn't coming down. So this is what you need to do to, you know, bring your baby down. So I'm doing the, like the child's pose for 30 minutes. And then I'm doing some weird leg over the side for 30 minutes. And then some, it was like three different moves. And when you can't move, when you're having contractions to like find a better spot, I just like it, it shouldn't be that bad. You know, it, it didn't need to, I didn't need to be like that in pain. Like, um, but I thought that was what, you know, I needed to do. So then we walked around a lot and things started to pick up. And throughout this time, every time I'd have like a little gush of water, there would be meconium in the waters. And so, um, and I didn't, this was one of the things I wasn't really, I guess, educated on, you know, I had learned a lot about other birth stuff but there's not a lot about meconium when you read, you know, the simple books like Ina May's books or things like that. They just don't talk about that. So I, I didn't really have any of my own knowledge to go off of. I was just going off of their knowledge of meconium and they were slowly starting to get more and more concerned about it. Um, they were also checking my baby every 15, 20 minutes and he was fine. So also you were 42 weeks pregnant of course they had yes. a movement yeah that makes sense right which again I didn't really know to think like oh yeah that's normal or that could be normal um so so this had been like 12 hours about and I'm starting to get tired I get into the bathtub and a big gush comes out and I just get super excited like oh my gosh this is gonna happen um but also with that big gush comes like a lot of meconium and there was a point where my midwife leaned over me and said nicole um i think we need to transfer to the hospital whatever and that will be like forever etched in my mind and i was just like but like nothing's wrong you know like that's the only thing and she was like yes but i think they can um it's been it's been a long time plus this plus you know i think they can help you Damn. So we all get into the car and go to the hospital. And um, uh, when we get there, like they weren't concerned, like the people at the hospital weren't concerned. They were just like, all right, well, yeah, you can, here's a bed. And, you know, and I was in it, I was in it. But as soon as I got to the hospital, my body just did what um, I think was wise of it to do, you know, um, shut down pretty much. I did not feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe. Um, so we waited for a while and then eventually I ended up getting, um, Pitocin and then I couldn't handle that. So I got an epidural and then I was completely out of it. And I remember, you know, my midwife, um, 
kind of just sitting there talking with I had a photographer and they were like sitting in the darkness talking next to my bed just about you know I don't even know what lunch or you know another story their kids in school or something and I was just thinking like I'm over here trying to have a baby and like no one's like helping me figure out how to do this or get up or suggesting anything you know and and they're just you know fine over there and I'm over here like my life is slowly like being destroyed almost I don't want to be here um and and uh I don't know, another, you know, six hours of waiting there. This wasn't like any sort of emergency. It was just kind of like the doctor would come in and check like, oh, there's no progress. Oh, you're, you know, you're at an eight. Let me check you again. Still at an eight, push a little bit. Oh, like nothing's happening. And I'm like, I can't just start pushing. Like, um, so I am glad that like no one suggested that, but it just got to this point eventually where, I had nothing left to give and the doctor was like well we can keep waiting or we can do a c-section you know and I didn't know what to do I mean I didn't know how much longer I could just keep laying there and waiting for something to happen and I was exhausted it's an impossible and, situation yeah it was it was doomed from the home you know with yes, the, yeah. the rules and regs and of, of that midwife putting her license and her fear of birth over what you actually hired her to do yes yes um you know and I spent you know a year or two with the what ifs and like what if this would have happened and that would have happened and I'm past that now but I'm sure the baby would have come and been just fine if I would have stayed at home but sure. I didn't have someone supporting me to exactly do that. so anyways I said that's a okay. classic like that is that is midwife sabotage yeah you're mm-hmm. sorry, unfortunately yes <sighs> completely so yeah so I I go in and I'm like shaking uncontrollably I know part of it is I'm scared I've never had surgery before and then the other part is the the anesthesia and they're like putting all these blankets on me and they do the thing where they tie my arms down and I was just like why um, you know, and within 20 minutes, um, I mean, my husband was right there with me trying to control me and he's being traumatized watching me go through this. He doesn't want to see this. Um, they tug and pull a little and my first baby's out, you know, and I can't even hold him or, or kiss him. And I just remember like my arm was reaching out and I was looking at him. Like, I just want to grab him. Um, and I said, Eddie, go to him, go to him, you know, and he's crying and, Um, he was perfect he had poop all over him but he was perfect you know and I remember seeing his face and that just that first time you see your baby's face it's just like unbelievable that that was growing inside of you you know and that little human that looks like you and your husband your love together like it was just the most unbelievable feeling I just wish you know I could have had him on me right away so they clean him up a little and then eventually Eddie was able to carry him over and I held him to my chest and um, I was so happy and so like sad at the same time it was it's just been this whole um, yeah back and forth his whole not his whole life but that whole almost you know first year of like I'm happy I have my baby but I'm sad that this is how it happened yeah um, so <clears throat> So I'll just move into like the breastfeeding part of it. The trauma from all of that just destroyed our breastfeeding relationship. 
And I wasn't, I worked for 12 weeks hard with lactation consultants and craniosacral therapists and pumping and one-sided nursing and all, everything possible. Everyone was just like, why isn't this working? Like everyone was so confused, you know, and I was exhausted and depleted and already sad that he didn't come the way I wanted him to. And then I couldn't nurse him. You know, it was just this, this like, okay, I couldn't have him at home and then I couldn't have him vaginally. And then I couldn't have him, um, you know, with maybe some drugs and then, I, and then I couldn't nurse him. And I just felt like I couldn't do anything as a mom that I was supposed to do for him. And it was so hard and it was such a dark time, but such a happy time because I was learning to be a mom. And, you know, I felt so bad because I just wanted to talk about it all the time. And I'm sure my husband, he's wonderful, but I felt like he's probably so tired of hearing me just like all the time. And um, I didn't have a lot of other people that really understood why it was such a big deal to me. Like, it's okay. Just next time, maybe, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Just give him a bottle. And every time I would give him a bottle, I would cry. And I just remember crying out to God, like, why are you letting all of this happen to me? Like, why you can't give me one thing in this other than my son, other than a healthy baby, you can't give me anything else. And I, um, I really was angry at God for a long time. And I was just angry at just everything. And I, um, it was a dark year. And then I, I feel like I kind of used my anger to, um, just figure out what went wrong. You know, like I said, like, I just wanted to like research and learn. So I learned all about meconium that I could in whatever ways I knew how, and, um, this is never going to happen again. And I, I replayed everything over and over in my head, you know, and that was my way, I guess, of dealing with it. Um, I talked to different people about it, but like, it was just there for a long time, the pain and, um, the just disappointment of it all. So, um, maybe when Jude was like a year and a half, I, um, we started talking about having a baby again. And before that I had been completely, you know, like, I'm not doing this again. I can't go through that again. It will destroy me if that like scenario happens again. Um, so we got pregnant, um, and we were very excited and about, um, 10 weeks, I thought I was ready for this. You know, I thought I was ready to like go for the V back and everything like emotionally and everything. But looking back now, I know like I still had a lot of more work to do. So about 10 weeks in eight to 10 weeks into that pregnancy, um, I started having, um, blood and I thought maybe it was just, you know, some spotting or something, but eventually it turned into like a full blown, um, pregnancy release. And, um, it went for one day and then it was done. And then it like came back two days later, like so much more blood. And I thought, um, okay, well, I'm just gonna stay at home and it'll be okay. And I was talking to, I had been in contact with that same midwife because she does well woman care and stuff. And she had, um, she was just like, um, I don't know, encouraging me that like, this is okay. This is just part of, you know, having like babies, like you have miscarriages sometimes. So it wasn't so much the like, oh, I'm losing my baby. It was more like, okay, this is a lot of blood. Like I'm scared. 
Um, eventually I started to feel very, very faint and like I was going to pass out. So we decided to go to the hospital and I just continued to bleed and bleed and bleed. The doctors weren't taking me seriously. They were just like, okay, go in the room. Like people come in here for miscarriages. Women come in for miscarriages all the time. Like it'll be fine. It'll pass. And there was a guy that kept checking my blood levels. So like every hour he would come and like, um, take a blood sample to check like my hemoglobin and eventually by like the fourth time he couldn't even like get any like blood out and I was getting cold and white and um still the doctors were like not doing anything and then eventually someone this is like five six hours in of me being there just blood everywhere um it looked like a murder scene I don't know why my body wasn't like just completing it you know I I still don't know why this happened I guess it just was one of those things um they finally came in and realized like oh like my hemoglobin levels were like at like a four or something which is basically almost <laughs> I mean dead like I basically almost had no blood left in my body and they finally um it took them so long to like actually step in and do something like I went to the hospital for help not just to like lay there and have them you know give me a bed um Oh, I remember they sent a doctor in and thought that maybe if he manually pulled some tissue out and I remember his face, he was like, looked grossed out and scared. Like, why am I doing this? And I was just like, why are you doing this? It was so, I was so out of it that I hardly remember it, but it was just so like violating almost, you know, cause they had me up in stirrups and they were pulling tissue out, hoping that maybe that oh. would help stop the bleeding. And I could tell he didn't want to be doing that. They they sent a like female nurse with him to help it be okay. I don't know. Finally, an um, actual like actual OB comes in. He's like, we're going to get you into surgery and do a DNC and clean it out. And like, hopefully that will, you know, stop all of this. Um, so I went in for that. And um, I just remember everyone who saw me was like, oh my gosh, like you're so pale. You look like you're dying. And I was like, thank you for scaring me. Um, and it was all males in the operating room, which was like, they couldn't have sent one woman in there. You know, that was just weird. I felt very just open and fragile and stuff. And I just, you know, go under and knowing there's like four men there that are going to do this procedure. Oh my God. Um, so when I woke up, I guess they, they told me they gave me two blood transfusions and finally the bleeding had stopped and they cleaned it out so I'm just not quite sure why that why that miscarriage was so bad maybe some of it was still the trauma I was holding on to um so after that I realized like okay I'm not in you know the right place yet to have another baby and I spent um basically the whole year of 2019 just like working on myself um we had started like a a small um like produce box subscription box business me and my sister so we have land here and we started growing vegetables and for weekly boxes so I like put my hurt and my sadness I feel like into this like business project into this farm project and um, that was the year we started that um, so that was really healing to just constantly be working outside working with the seasons working with the land um, Jude my son was always by me working outside in the garden with me um, I, I spent time doing, um, our Vigo therapy and 
acupuncture and just any sort of like therapy and body work I could think of to like help my cycles were unhealthy. I was having recurrent yeast infections. I just like had so much I felt like I hadn't dealt with. And I didn't realize that the stress and the trauma was like affecting my health so much. Like that was the year I really put those two pieces together. Like it's not separate, like your stress and your sadness and your trauma is not separate from your physical health. Like they're so connected. And it was like, it clicked finally for me. And I was like, I need to like, really take care of myself. I need to rest more. I need to stop pushing myself so much. I need to, um, get back in a better place with my, with my relationship with the Lord. I need to just, um, I don't know, just heal, you know, I just need to heal. And it was a long year of working on that, but it was just a beautiful year. I set boundaries and relationships, which was something that I had never really been taught to do as far as like relationships that weren't, you know, serving me like, okay, I love you, but we don't have to like be up in each other's business all the time. I love you, but um, I'm not going to let how you feel affect me all the time. Just like, you know, maturing as a human, as a woman, as a mother, I did so much during that time. And I needed to do all that before I could have another baby. And I'm so glad that um, I was given that opportunity um, to just focus on me. So the end of that year, the year of work, I guess I call it, we planned a trip to Costa Rica, just me and my husband and my, my son. Um, he was three and a half. And um, we had slowly started trying again, the end of that year. And Costa Rica was like this, like exhale, this beautiful, actual relaxing vacation where we actually, you know, sat around and, um, like just drank smoothies and swam in the water and rested. And the very last day we were there, I felt like, let's go to the pharmacy and get a, um, get a pregnancy test. I feel like I might be pregnant. And so we tested there and there was a positive pregnancy test. And it was just such a special thing to like find out while we were there on that trip. Um, after just a year of, you know, of like challenges and crying and like learning and growing. So that was just really special. And, and after that, I just feel like life was just a lot more simple and, um, I really, yeah, did a good job. I feel like of like just cutting out the crap and cutting out stuff that just wasn't, wasn't doing anything good for us or me. Um, so <laughs> I think you're gonna uh, think I'm like, so silly, but I went back to those same midwives mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember eventually like the middle of that pregnancy, listening to, I think it was a podcast, you were talking to someone and you were saying how you, you are so surprised when women go back to the midwives that have sabotaged their birth. And I heard that. And I was like, she's so right. Like, what if they do this to me again? But I worked like my ass off to tell them you're only there to help out after. Like, I felt like I needed someone there to like, help me clean up or to like, just be there. Like, you know, I just wanted someone there and I couldn't find anyone else. I'd interviewed some other ladies in the area. Um, I, I wasn't ready to have a free birth yet. I don't know. Something in me just wasn't ready yet. And I was devouring this podcast and, um, I just was like, Oh, I'm not as 
I don't know, I'm not as strong as those ladies yet, or as brave as those ladies yet, or something, you know, something inside of me wasn't ready. And I'm sure some of that was the fact that it was a V back. I still hadn't had that like vaginal birth to really make me feel like, oh yeah, I can totally do this. Um, and and so it was also that pregnancy was through COVID. So we really didn't meet at all. They like stopped meeting. They just did like phone calls and stuff. Um, and I loved it. I loved that. Like, I didn't have to, you know, make time to like, go see them all the time. We would check in on a phone call. Um, I did absolutely no testing, even though they like continually were like, are you sure? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like this could happen or that can happen. I'm like, nope. Like, I don't want any ultrasounds. I don't want I got blood work, you know, to check my hemoglobin levels, um, to make sure those were in a good place. And, um, that was really the only thing I was concerned about. And that was fine. Um, I was eating like lamb from sheep that we raised and harvested and vegetables from our garden. And, um, I was outside in the sun and the dirt all the time working and, this baby and me were just like, it was such a beautiful pregnancy. And I was so connected to like nature, to God, to, um, my just innate female, just beauty and power. I just felt so confident and strong. And like, I felt like all I needed to like put the cherry on top was to have this baby come out of my vagina. Um, and I went again past like 40 weeks and I had had multiple talks with the midwives about how I um, didn't want them suggesting anything to me. I didn't want them there till the end of the labor, how, what they had made me feel the last birth. Like I was very honest with them about how they hurt me and all the pain that I went through. Um, not how they hurt me, but how they, how the memories of them like hurt me, you know, the memories of her saying like, we need to go to the hospital or, um, the memories of her saying like, it's okay. My first was a C-section too. Like, you'll be okay. You know? Um, and they were like, okay, like we understand. So I had a doula there who was this beautiful presence. And she was, I asked her to kind of be my, um, uh, protector, I guess, kind of between like them and me, like they're only here. Um, because in my mind, I felt like I still needed a midwife there. Um, but please don't let them into my room unless you ask me first. You know, I told her that we talked about all this beforehand and having her there was so amazing because I, during the labor, I still had like this moment where I had to work through some stuff. I feel like it was, I got to the point in that labor, um, where maybe I was at the same place where I had stalled in Jude's labor, where I had kind of stopped, you know, like my body never got past that point of opening when I was in labor with Jude. And I feel like I got to that point in my VBAC birth and my body was like stopping and I had to kind of like talk through it. And I had this big release with my doula and it was beautiful and um, very powerful. And I just said, like, I'm still kind of scared that I can't do this. I'm still worried um, what if the same thing happens? And she said, just let it all out. It's okay. Just tell me how you feel. She just listened to me. It was very sweet. And then after that, she gave me like a beautiful massage and I just let all the feelings come over me and immediately, not immediately, but very soon after that, my body kicked into gear. And like, I went into like that final kind of transition 
phase where things were like so intense. Um, and I really stayed in my room the whole time, especially once my midwives got there. And I, that was my body's way of like protecting myself from them. And I had created my room to be a very, you know, um, sacred, peaceful place. Um, so my husband's in there with me, my son, my four-year-old son, he's there and he's kind of in and out. Like he wanted to be a part of it, but it was long. It was like another like 12 hour labor. Um, so, you know, he was taking naps and going swimming and watching movies and stuff. And I get to the part where all of a sudden your body just has to get everything out and I'm on the toilet just like uncontrollably you know and I hadn't gotten to this part in my last labor so it was all brand new for me it was like a first birth and I'm just letting everything out and my husband's there with me like holding holding me supporting me and then I start kind of um looking for a place to to have the baby and I end up at the edge of the bed with my knees on the ground leaning over the bed and it was about an hour of like the whole, like, like those, you know, just like constant. And I was like, I can't believe my body is just doing this on its own, you know? And it was so like, so amazing to just feel that happening to me, but also so just overwhelmingly, like almost scary, you know? Cause you're just like, I am not doing anything. My body is pushing this child out on its own (laughs) and my husband was like I could see every like muscle in your body just like contracting and tensing I mean for him to see that was like so healing for him too to know that like I was getting exactly what I wanted like this is what I wanted to feel all of this and to go through all of this and um I remember saying like, it hurts so bad. And they were all like, it's okay. Like we know, you know, and for this one, I had not invited my mom or sister or anyone. Um, it was just, um, my doula and my husband. And I mean, there was still obviously more people there than, um, a lot of people may have, but, um, they were all in the background anyways, all of a sudden he like flies out, like his whole body just flies out all at once on the floor. And I had told them, you know, about how I wanted the halo. I wanted no one to speak when he was born. I wanted to be the first to touch him, to pick him up. And um, so I pick up his slippery body and hold it. And I'm just saying, you know, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I did it. Cause of course there was that moment, you know, probably two hours prior where I thought I couldn't do it right before, you know, he was going to be born. And my husband was just like holding me and saying, you did it. You did it. I knew you could do it the whole time. I knew you could do it, you know, and just so happy. I didn't cry really, which was weird. I was expecting to cry. I feel like I cry more when I tell the story, but I was just so just overjoyed. And he was just here and we hadn't found out his, um, that it was a boy or anything. Cause we didn't have any ultrasound. So, you know, oh, it's another boy, a little brother for Jude, um, so now we have two boys and, um, it was so beautiful. It was so great. And, um, yeah, after that is when I really realized, okay, I'm never having these women serve me again. They, <laughs> they gave me a shot of Pitocin for no reason. Just, I, I think that's just like practice for them, but I think it well, made me, it's, it's procedure. I mean, it's policy for them to like protect themselves or something. Yeah. And then they, the placenta came out was fine. Um, 
but they were kind of like, okay, like, let's get the placenta out, which like I get, but it was only within like 30 minutes. Lots Um, of ways to do that without shooting you up full of drugs. Yeah, exactly. She stitched me and Hmm. I, um, I don't know. She told me my tear was, was pretty bad. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess, you know, we can do this. And she said, I'll, you know, I'm very good at this. So I'll go ahead and do it. But I think the stitching like made my healing, like be very prolonged. It was like six weeks before I could really sit comfortably. It was a very long healing process as opposed to my last birth, my free birth, where it was fine within like a week, you know, mm-hmm. even before that it was just so much more swollen. I feel like when they stitch if you, you, if you think about it, they're taking a needle and literally creating more wounds. Yeah. Very true. In your vulva. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're stitching up this thing that will literally heal on its own and also creating more and more and more and yeah. more wounds yeah so I'm just I'm not yeah I'm not sure why that like yeah why we think that that needs to be done or why certainly we don't you know (laughs) why I mean it's it's because they are trained in the allopathic model which says always do always prevent you know it's not it's not about like there's no spontaneous healing within medwifery it's not leave it alone yeah. it's all pathological, you know, it's, yeah. they, they can't, they don't know how it's literally not in their training. They don't yeah. understand. They do not understand physiological birth and they mm-hmm. have to do something right. They need yeah. to be important and they can't just let you have a hands-off birth or else you won't hire them next time. That's so much part of it is like, mm-hmm. yeah, they have to do something. Yeah. I've, I've forgot to say when I, when I was pregnant during that time, I had had a conversation with one of the midwives, there was two of them. And I had asked, I was kind of asking her about how she got started here. And she said, well, you know, there was a lot of ladies here having free births and that's why we needed a new midwife to come in because we don't, we don't want that. That's very dangerous. And I remember when she said that, I was like, oh, she is so far from what I'm slowly starting to like see and, you know? and where, where is it so dangerous? Like, where is it happening? Cause we're actually in a community of <laughs> and it's going pretty well, you yeah. know, where yeah. is it so dangerous? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Were these ladies dropping like flies? I don't think nope. so. Nope. No, it's just, you thought that that was dangerous. I'm just, yeah. My way of thinking is so has just changed so much in five years um, so when, yeah. when when they leave your home is like when is the point for you when you're like no I'm not having them back I'm definitely free birthing next time is that like a slow ha- thing that happens in postpartum or is it like an immediate it was no. like an immediate I think after they gave me the shot and I was like you didn't even ask me oh my god you know like you didn't even ask me this is I am a full grown woman. I can make that decision if I think I wanted that, you know, and then they were there to help. They came a couple times postpartum and eventually I was like, it's fine. You know, I'm doing fine. The baby's nursing fine, which was another amazing thing to breastfeed. Oh my gosh. The, the joy and the bliss of like nursing my child well, and it just working was Mm -hmm. so good. And I, 
so much of that was the birth being, you know, for the most part undisturbed and me just having him right away. And another part was like, it was my second time around. And I just felt like I had as a mom, just some more, you know, confidence. Well, and Um, you actually birthed. Yes. You birthed and you weren't on drugs and you didn't have surgery. I mean, the fact that women, some women are able to nurse after surgery and after everything that they go through in the hospital is incredible. I think so too. When women tell me that, yeah, like, oh, I had a C-section, but yeah, nursing's going great. I'm just like, how? That's yeah. amazing. You like know? against all odds. Yes, really yes, amazing. yes. Like survival, surviving. Um, so yeah, that was great. I had set up a beautiful postpartum plan because we have a farm. So I had to have farm help. Um, I had cooked tons of food and frozen it. I had set up childcare and house cleaning and um, like a postpartum doula to come help with uh, my oldest boy. Cause my son really, I mean, my husband could really only get like a week or two off work. Um, and also it's not his job to literally do everything just because I had a baby. I wanted him to have, you know, support too. So it was a beautiful, amazing postpartum. And I was just like in a dream world. And I would just remember thinking like, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, I could do this. Like, this is the best vacation I've ever had. You know, like if this is how it's supposed to be, I'll do this over and over again forever. Like it was so amazing. Um, I mean, eventually you have to get up and, you know, get back to life, <laughs> but <Sadly. just laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, it was great. So yeah, I knew after that, I was like, I am done with having these kind of women be around me, be at my birth, be a part of any of that for another birth. And when that one, my VBAC son was a year old. Um, hold on, hold on. Can you imagine going up to another woman and stabbing her with drugs? Like really, like take out that it's in the most important hormonal um, exchange basically if you're in your baby's life like even take out that uh-huh just doing it i know so mind-blowingly violating and inappropriate like yes. to inject your body with something mm-hmm. that you didn't ask for that you didn't even want no wow I know. Like, like, I'm just like, um, like an okay. animal mm-hmm. out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. Oh, here, give him that shot. All right. Mm-hmm. As I'm holding <sighs> my baby too. Like, what if I would have, I don't know. It's just, yeah. Didn't want them anywhere near. near it's such a big deal. Guess. And I'm, I'm honing in on that because I know that there's women that will hear this, that this also happened to them and no one has validated how horrifically violating that is and how totally infantilizing and, and, and like you said, you're a grown woman and to be treated like a cow. Yes. It's so it's, it's unacceptable. I know. Yeah. It was something that like, when I told my story the first time, I kind of like remembered it when I told my friend and she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, actually, can you believe that happened? And then it really started to hit me. Like, I can't believe they did that without Mm -hmm. asking after, and after every conversation I had had with them about Mm -hmm. how, like, 
back up they needed to be, you know? So yeah, like I wasn't going to notice or care. Like that was just. Exactly. Well, you know, you're supposed to trust them with your life at all cost. And, and, and also what's really fucked up is if they had asked you, you might have felt compelled to say yes, even if you hadn't really wanted it. You know, a lot of women, you know, say that, you know, the real, the real move with, with, for anyone listening who is for whatever reason, um, just like committed to birthing with a medical midwife who doesn't want this to happen to her, um, you know, see if the woman will not bring pit to your birth. And, you know, spoiler alert, she won't not, (laughs) she will. And that is really good information, right? Because Mm -hmm. they can tell you all day long, we won't use it, or we only use it in emergencies and I'll only use it in a life-saving, you know, all the stuff that, that medical midwives say to women all the time who say, I don't want you to shoot me up with pit because they hear stories like yours and they'll say, no, no, no. But, but you can actually believe that she won't if she doesn't bring it. Mm -hmm. And I have never heard of a medical midwife who was willing to not bring it. Mm. It might be out there, but I've never heard of that story. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty like significant way to push on what is ultimately a lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. So how old is, is your second with, when the next baby comes in? So, um, you know, I was totally open to like having another baby, but I, I did want to wait and, you know, um, at least a couple of years while that wasn't the plan, I guess. And, (laughs) um, Jesse was 12 months old when I found (gasps) out I was pregnant again. Oh my God. And I knew like right away because, well, the thing is I start my period super soon postpartum, no matter like, you know, I was biological breastfeeding and everything, but like 12 weeks in postpartum, I had already started my lead and, you know, probably by six months I was like ovulating again. So we had to be so careful, plus you're breastfeeding and everything's kind of off still. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, yeah, I was like, well, I guess we're having those really close babies that, you know, people have (laughs) and, um, yeah. So it was immediately, I was like, yeah, I'm doing this by myself. And, um, I had some conversations with my husband and at first he was a little like, Oh, really? Okay. Um, you know, I could tell he was a little nervous. He was like, can we just have like, um, our doula here from last time? Cause she made me feel like really calm. And I was like, well, I can ask her, but you know, we'll see. Um, and then eventually he was completely, he's like, I trust you. Like, I'm not gonna, he's not the kind of guy that you like give a book to and say like, here, read this. Like, he's just, he gives me the, you know, he trusts me enough to and respects me enough to know that like I'm gonna do what's best for me and the baby and you know he'll be there to support me when I ask him to and um I'm really um you know grateful that I chose a husband that you know um that is like that um and it's not his you know territory um so anyways it's actually kind of a red flag to me when the men are like doing all the research and reading all the books and like want to be in on all the sessions and like are, you know, have all the questions. It's like, sit down, mm-hmm. sit yeah. back a little bit. Yeah. You know? Or like, you yeah. know it all. or when like, I don't know when ladies have told me like, yeah, I can't because of my husband, you know? And I'm like, yeah. 
I mean, um, that, that lets you know how she lives their entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Controls her life. Yeah. So it was another like just really beautiful pregnancy. I was, I tried to take extra, extra good care of myself. Cause I knew, you know, it only been 12 months. I, I had been pregnant again and I was nursing and my body was still, you know, nutritionally not peak. Um, and I hadn't lost, you know, a lot of the like extra pregnancy weight from the first one. So I was like, okay, am I like getting too big or something, you know? But then I was like, no, I just, cause I still had that, like, oh, the, the weight gain from the first pregnancy kind of mindset. And I was like, no, as long as I feel good and I'm eating good, I should be fine. You know, my blood pressure should be fine. Like everything should be fine. That was all just things that were created because I didn't line up perfectly on a graph. Mm-hmm. there is like no graph that like everyone can match up to. And it's just like, so dumb when like midwives make you stress out over not, you know, lining up to whatever graph that they have in their notebook in front of them. So yeah, it was a great pregnancy. I was still working a lot in the garden with the animals. I mean, we have lambs born here every winter. So like, I always felt very connected to the mamas, um, during that time. Um, and yeah, I just planned for, um, a, you know, just a birth at home with my family. And I plan on having my two younger boys there. They were, Jude was a part of the first one. And I figured if the time came and I didn't want them, I could send them away or ask a family member to come pick them up. Um, thankfully, you know, anyone I told didn't really have much to say other than like, wow, that's cool. You know? So I didn't feel like I, I don't know, had any sort of like weird energy coming towards me. I mean, maybe I did, but someone didn't tell me. In a way, this is going to sound really weird, but like in a way you've also kind of proven yourself to society that you can birth children, you know? Right, yeah. Hasn't done that yet. So she's still, you know, culture is going to be very suspicious of her and question her and still sees her as a child. And like, you know, when you zoom out a bit, just how we treat, maidens and how we treat mothers of three like it's not the same you no, know there no, is a no. bit of um I don't know if proven is the right word yeah but, like more respect for your decision, yeah like you're I not going to get as much shit on a third baby as yeah. you're going to get as your first yeah totally you're also not going to take as much shit on your third baby exactly <laughs> you know what I mean? it goes together yeah. yeah yes and I had felt um such a change in myself after having that VBAC that, yeah, I really didn't care what people said or thought. I had started a, a monthly women's circle and one of the gals that came, um, she had a free birth like a few months before I would be 40 weeks, which was really cool. Like I never saw it in our little super conservative town that I would meet these kind of women, but you you start a women's circle like that and they will come. Like you Mm -hmm. said that. And it's so true. And every woman should know that like, they'll come to you if you provide a place and we have a space here at our farm and I was able to create a place and these women started coming. And now I know like four or five women in my community that have free birth and that like, don't shave their legs anymore. And you know, it's like, it's just so cool. It gives me the chills and it's yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about um, that pregnancy. So I'll just get into the free birth. It was just, you know, another long birth. I don't have 
my births don't really get shorter. My labors are just always like 12 hours long. <laughs> and I was kind of annoyed, but I was like, whatever, you know, like seven it hours. Wasn't that bad. I, I used to, I served a woman um, in th- three of her births that all, but she actually had four births. I just wasn't at the first one. All four of them were four days. Oh my goodness. It never got shorter. Okay. Oh. That's yeah. Rough. <laughs> yeah. And after that, you're probably like, okay, I can't do like another four day. <laughs> yeah, she did it. She did it. And well, every um, time it was like, of course the next one will be shorter. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so 12 hours. Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, at least you go into it thinking it might be shorter. Um, yeah. It just kind of, it's, it started earlier than I thought. I don't, unless my dates were off or something, but it was only like 39 weeks, which was a surprise to me. Um, cause my other two had been, you know, past 40 and I didn't feel ready and I was a little nervous, you know, no one's coming. It's just me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nobody's coming, you know, and it was also the day of my mother blessing. So that my friend had planned for me. So we had to cancel it. And on top of that, I had to tell all those ladies that right. I was in labor, which I didn't necessarily want to do. I didn't want everyone knowing. Um, but it ended up being a really good thing because my sister and a few of my close friends and my mom were sending me like beautiful, like prayers and things they had prepared for the mother blessing. And they were texting those to me. And so that was very encouraging. Um, it all kind of started in the middle of the night. So I was walking outside. It was a nice warm evening and the moon was bright and it was just very peaceful. And, I was very uneasy for the first couple hours. And then I just had to say like, okay, like, baby, I'm sorry. Like, I'm ready for you. I'm sorry if I'm making you feel like I'm not ready for you. Like you come whenever you need to. Um, I just prayed for peace just to wash over me. And after that, I felt much better. Um, And I was like, okay, this is going to happen. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, I'm just going to have to be ready, you know, whatever that means. Um, and I was logistically ready. I just wasn't necessarily mentally ready. So yeah, it was just, uh, um, me in my room walking around moaning, listening to music. And this time the bathtub felt nice. Like my other two births, I didn't like the water this birth. I really wanted to be in the water. And, um, I stayed in the water for a long time and then got out and did the prowl around my room looking for somewhere to birth and like just nowhere felt right. And I didn't want to give birth in the same place as my last baby had come. I just felt like that was kind of, you know, this isn't the same birth. Um, so I was doing that weird prowl and (laughs) I was like, I can't find a spot, you know, like I cannot find a good spot. And I knew the poop was coming. So I was like, maybe I should get back to the bathroom um the prowling poop <laughs> yes. the title of your episode <laughs> the prowler and the pooper <laughs> um, uh yeah I was I was ready for that I'm impressed <laughs> that you had enough like cognitive you know that you were with it enough to even like consider that stuff <laughs> <laughs> well like my boys kind of kept coming in and out so I was oh. constantly shifting from like woo mm-hmm. to like what honey okay here's the milk okay what <laughs> Yes, I know. And like my youngest, he was, you know, uh, just barely two or not quite two yet. And so at first he was very scared. And then he started making all the noises with me and like getting really into it. And I was like, okay, you know, eventually it was just too much. And I was like, guys, that sounds really annoying. (laughs) Let's quiet down. Um, yeah. Uh, (laughs) but 
I'm so glad they were there and they were like involved in it and a part of it. And it's just, that's a completely like woman to woman situation. But for, for me, somehow it was like, okay. Um, and they were just in the bath. So I got back into the bathtub and, um, I knew what was happening. And then my body started doing the pushing and the, the full body heaving down and, um, the boys were right there. And my oldest, he was, um, five, he had like a camera. So he was like my little photographer, which was really cute. All the pictures are completely blurry, (laughs) but it's so sweet. Um, and we have it on like a video so you can like see them, like see what they're doing that I didn't really notice when I was in it. Um, yeah. And then, uh, oh, there was like a little meconium again. And I was kind of annoyed because I was like, come on, like, can it just be like clear cut and like no weird, you know, things. But, um, I, I kind of like pushed past that pretty quickly. Didn't let it bother me. Um, but in some ways it's like redemptive that you had the presence of meconium and got to experience that it's totally normal and okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was, able to face a lot of just everything just right there you know just face those fears face those doubts face those you know past memories and stuff um and just know that all of it is fine and that's okay and um my body and baby are gonna do this and um yeah a little before 11 a.m he just came like flying out in the water and um I pulled him up to my chest and held him and he was warm and slippery. And it was just like, so freeing and like peaceful to like, not have to worry about protecting him from anyone. Like Mm -hmm. no one was gonna um, examine him or judge him or give him a score or check him. Um, if he needed to take some time to come to, to really make a good cry, no one was going to start scaring me or telling me to do anything. Um, he took about 10 minutes to really like make some good cries and to be like really alert. He was like going in and out of being, um, alert. He would do this like floppy thing kind of, and his eyes would roll back and then he'd kind of like come to and, I was a little nervous, but I was like so much more calm than I, I don't know, like surprisingly just calm about the whole thing. So I'm really like proud of myself for not, you know, being scared. Um, A a thought of death flashed through my mind and I was like, okay, that's there, but I'm not going to focus on it, you know? Um, And, you know, I kind of tilted him and helped him drain. I could tell he had like meconium snot in his nose um, I did give him like a few gentle breaths, but it was more like a blowing in his face, even than a blowing in his mouth. Um, just to kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, and eventually I was like, okay, maybe we just need to get out of the water and get warm. And then he'll really, you know, perk up. Cause he was getting almost like white too. It was interesting. Um, so Eddie like made a path of towels to catch all the blood from the bathroom to the bed. And you know, there's so much blood, no one's there cleaning it up. And that was something that had been a fear of mine before from the miscarriage and everything. And I was okay. Um, so yeah, once we got into bed and like, I told Eddie to put socks on my feet and bundle us up and we got really warm and close and 
again, like no one was trying to do anything. It was just me. And I was enough. I was enough to keep him safe and warm and keep him breathing. Right. And it was just such a beautiful, peaceful, simple, you know, feeling. Um, yeah, the, the placenta, um, came out after about an hour. I had to try like a few different times. And, um, once the placenta was out, the bleeding, like completely, you know, eased up because it was kind of like gushing every time I would have like an after pain. But once my placenta was out, it was like the bleeding almost just, you know, stopped to like a light bleed. So that made me feel better. And then I already had like stew, red, like beef stew ready to go. Beef and barley stew is like my favorite postpartum meal. Um, it's like so hearty. So I was eating stew and, you know, cuddling with him and he was like nursing a little bit within an hour of him being born. And Eddie gave the boys lunch and we all took a nap and we burned his cord later, which was like really special. But then 15 minutes in, we're like, all right, get the scissors. <laughs> it takes so long. <laughs> so long and the smell and the smoke. Like, okay. It was magical. And now yeah. <laughs> And Jude was like, let's sing happy birthday. So, you know, we sang happy birthday and everything like when we were doing that. So it was a nice little ceremony, but oh. yeah, to like do it the entire time. I could tell my husband was like, all right, like how long is this going <laughs> to take Nicole? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, it was just, yeah, it was just so great and simple. And I would never, ever go back to doing it, you know, any other way. Yeah. And I'm so glad all my boys were there with me and um, yeah like a very intact family experience yeah we were able to like really incorporate it into our life pretty easily you know as far as like all right there's a third baby here you guys saw him come out you know and the boys still talk about it and they still want to watch the video and and it was another really blissful postpartum it wasn't as quiet maybe because there's now there's two kids and yeah you have a one-year-old yeah yeah but it was still, you know, I had prepared greatly for it again with farm help and food. And I'm just very passionate about the postpartum resting period. And so I did a lot of work to, yeah, make sure I was able to rest again. It really stands out to me <clears throat> how you, after your free birth that you, when he was like kind of wide and coming in and out of, you know, transitioning whatever, when he, you know, your baby's landing that that your takeaway from that as you get into bed is I was enough. That's a really like striking, beautiful, important, profound difference from a C-section, from what the fuck just happened to me, from did I really need surgery? Now I can't nurse. I mean, what so many women go through right now on this planet um, where they are emerging from their births, as I'm sure you did in your first of, I wasn't enough. I didn't have what I needed to do this. And, you know, that your trajectory of then, you know, the learning and the just like painful, painful learning and hazing, you know, through motherhood that, that of course is so many women go through. And then to arrive at this place of, I was enough, I am enough, you know, that's so, that's such a big deal that that is your arc, you know, and, and of course we hope more and more women can kind of get that in their first births. Right. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the case yet in, in our current 
you know, culture and on some level, you know, because of, of obstetrics monopolizing, you know, and just like destroying us as, as women and mothers, um, that the, the common narrative, you know, emerging is I really am not enough for my kid. And that that creates long time, lifelong, um, consumerism, you know, of allopathy, of going back to the pediatrician, of getting the immunizations, mm-hmm. of doing whatever the doctors say, of of being terrified of how to handle um, illness, you know, in your children on your own, mm-hmm. like all of this. It's just then you it just keeps going, and you know, and it goes into education, and like, well, if I'm not enough here, I'm not going to be enough at everywhere, right? And it's unconscious, I think, mm-hmm. for the vast majority of women. So it really stands out to me that that that's your use of words after your free birth, you know, in this like, could have been scary, could have been a little, a little bit of the, not the most comfortable transition in a newborn. It sounds totally normal what you described, but it's not like you've seen a thousand babies be born. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just beautiful. And it's, it's what I pray for, for all mothers, you know, to get to know that like, I'm enough. Mm -hmm. I was enough. And I I am and that no. foundation that that everything happens on you know from there it, it's it is the paradigm shift i know whenever i talk to i'm like moms that are in that you know very tender new time and they're worried about everything that's the message that i'm trying to like share with them you know to instill in them if they haven't like noticed it themselves already um that is a real big um thank you for noticing that because that's very true like from the beginning to you know so far the end right here not the end but my last birth like yeah I was like felt like I had nothing to give and then I felt like all he needed is me and I knew that Mm -hmm. um and And that's yeah yes yes and it would have been true each time you know but what a blessing for me to 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 see that and like for you to notice that right there as I said that I don't know that I've said like that those words before um yeah I I wish all women could could um feel that and I hope that you know more and more do because yeah it just sets you up for a lifetime of like not feeling like you can do what you need to you know for your kid that's a horrible place Yeah, yeah every single thing I mean motherhood has turned me into this woman that I never never thought I would become I mean I've always felt strong and confident but this is such a different level just such a different level and I could never have reached this level if I didn't have children if I didn't go through the you know the heartache and the suffering so no I don't want to go through it again but like if I had to to be the woman I am today you know I would and I um I'm just so yeah grateful for where I am and I I'm very passionate about um yeah helping other women if I can like I don't want this to continue to be normal forever you know just like all the work you're doing like it's just yeah it's it can't just be like this forever like there there is like change happening yeah it really is I mean that's what's so so fun is like well it's like totally it is normal in our community for women to birth intact. Yes. It's so cool. <laughs> it is the norm. Does it always happen every time? Of course not. Of course yeah. not. Women are where they are. And, and, yeah. and this is, this is very complex and this is very long standing. and there's just a lot of unraveling, but the needle is 
moving rapidly from mm-hmm. what I can see and what I can track. Yeah. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Emily, so much for listening to my story. <laughs> I love it. I loved, loved every second of it. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start.